our podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Life Fantastic podcast, the podcast where people with disabilities talk about all things related to disability here on Straight Independent Radio. Check out the new Straight Indie Radio website at straight, with an eight, indieradio.us. We are sponsored by neurodiversityconsulting.org and sentia.org. Check us out on the web to find out about all the great things we do with people with disabilities. I'm your host today, the Idea Dynamo, Samantha Pierce, and I am joined by my colleagues, Scott Davis, disabled writer, speaker, and advocate, Liza Citron, future special education teacher and disabled autistic self-advocate, and Dr. Jeremy Pierce, philosopher, my husband, and co-parent. Today, our topic is going to be around to disclose or not to disclose in the workplace and in other arenas in your life. Now, obviously, we're talking about those disabilities that are, are often referred to as invisible disabilities because uh, th those more obvious visible disabilities, they pretty much disclose themselves. People might have questions about how they impact your life, um, but it's not going to be a secret. For those invisible disabilities, you know, we have, there's an issue about whether or not we're going to tell people about it and how that's going to impact relationships, particularly in the workplace. So, Jeremy, I want to start with you um, because you deal with you deal in a situation as an as an instructor on a college campus. You deal with students who may or may not disclose to you about their disabilities, and what is that like for you navigating that interaction? Well, there are legal protections for students with disabilities to have accommodations and things like that. And they cannot have those without going through the official channels of disclosing to the campus in general. Now, that information is not supposed to be given out to just anyone, of course. They're also protected in that way. But I mean, the, the, the college or university is not allowed to tell me what disability a student has. They have to self-disclose that if they want me to know that. And a few of them do, and a few of them don't. But I will get a, um, an accommodation list of things that I am required by law to do, to give them extra time on exams or a note taker or make sure that stuff is formatted in a certain way or whatever it might be. Uh, whatever the accommodations are, I, I then have to follow those accommodations. And sometimes I can do more than that, but I can't do less than that. And they can't get those protections unless they do disclose. So there is a self-interested reason to disclose, at least in a college or university setting, so that you can get the extra support that you need. Um, but they don't have to actually make it so that everyone knows what their disability is. But there are some ways that it's inevitable that someone will figure it out. If you're taking an exam in another location, 
you don't have to make that public, but you're not going to be there at the exam, and someone may notice that. And um, depending no. on the disability, there are accommodations where someone has someone showing up with them in class to be a support, in which case someone will see that. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, at least in terms of the college and university setting, it seems to me that there is a self-interested reason to disclose, at least to the campus or to the, to the official channels, to the disability services office or whatever they're calling it at that particular institution. Uh, there may be self-interested reasons not to, or at least not to make it public to everyone, if you're worried about how people may treat you and that kind of thing. Uh, and there are other concerns besides self-interest as well. For example, do you want to encourage people to think about their moral responsibility toward people with disabilities by making them more aware of who around them has them? There may be a moral reason uh, to disclose for that reason, or perhaps you don't, you might not come to that conclusion, but there might be other factors like that as well. I could imagine someone wanting everyone to know that's interacting with them so that they can be an example in front of people. I could imagine that being someone's motive, but I've certainly had students who have not disclosed to me that have, they have disabilities. Uh, I've had some that have disclosed to me that they do and then have not gone through channels to get accommodations. And usually they say, I don't need them. That's what they'll say. Yeah, I, 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 I'm registered with them, but I don't do the accommodations. I don't think I need them. There, I've had students who've said that. I've had students who have just simply not told me anything. And in some cases, I've suspected maybe they don't know. But I've been able to tell that it's almost certainly true in a few cases by how they communicate by uh, how they seem to me to be processing information and that kind of thing. And I've had a few cases where I've suspected it and I haven't known whether they've known, but I've suspected it. But there've been a few cases where I've been pretty, pretty sure. I've been pretty sure, but they haven't said a thing to me. And I of course wasn't gonna say a thing to them. Uh, there might've been a few cases where I probably could have gotten them some help if I'd said something, but I don't have enough information to really make that judgment. So it's a difficult position sometimes for, for a faculty member to know whether to, to do that. I, there have been a few cases where I've encouraged someone to, to check to see if they can get accommodations. So sometimes that's, uh, there's a number of issues in there in, the, in a college setting. But and, you raise um, an interesting point. In in a situation where, based on your experience as a parent and also over 20 years experience teaching at the college level, when you come across someone who you, you suspect would benefit from the kind of accommodations you can get from a disability services office, but they don't seem to be aware of this, what do you do in those kinds of situations? Do you offer them accommodations anyway? Or do you, you try to present them with information in, in, in a way that is more accessible to them? How does that work? I'm not supposed to offer them disability accommodations if they haven't registered their disability with the Office of Disability Services or whatever, whatever it's called. Every, every campus has a different name and sometimes they come up with creative names so they don't use the word disability, which is an interesting <laughs> view in itself. <laughs> uh, I've always found that strange. 
but the the uh, I mean, it's Office of Accessibility Services at one of the one of the colleges I'm at, and and uh, I can't remember what Syracuse University changed it to. They changed it to something recently. But Still the disability though. But it's not it's not what it used. They changed the name for some reason. Yes, they did. It used to be Disability Services Office, and they've changed okay. it to something else. Another but manifestation of Le College uses the word, uses the name disability services. And Onondaga Community College uses accessibility services. If I remember and that was a deliberate change. If I remember correctly, here it is Center for Disability Resources, CDR. It used to be ODS, Office of Disability Services. Yeah. But, he, but at the moment, I think it's it's CDR. But you can change, um, you can you can provide accommodations to someone who doesn't have a documentable disability because you think their situation deserves it. And so I think one reason to expand to accessibility services is you're making things accessible to more people, even if it's not a disability. And I've certainly had cases where that's true. Uh, for example, mental health issues where it's a temporary mental health concern, perhaps because of COVID or something like that being a little bit more willing to give extensions, being a little bit more willing to, uh, to, to let them do something in a slightly different way. And uh, there's been a lot of that. And, th and the, the places that I teach at have been telling us to do that. And it amazes me when I see some professors, particularly our son's professors, who are not willing to give any accommodation, even ones that are that are explicitly said, you 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 ought to consider doing this in his uh, in his uh, list of accommodations. It does not say they have to do it, but it says it explicitly says, please take into account his disability when considering things like deadlines for assignments. And they won't. They say, oh, it's not fair to the other students. If they're not required by law to do it because it doesn't say they have to do it, they won't do it. So I, I see yeah. that a lot. I see that a lot as a parent of a college student who has a disability. Yeah. And I think so. we also, we, what you were saying earlier about you seeing students who, from your experiences, you're pretty sure that they're disabled, but they may not know. That gets into something that I have really, really thought about. It's this weird place that educators are in, whether that's a college professor, a little less so, but especially for elementary school teachers, you spend all this time with the person, in this case, a child, to the point where you may know certain things, but you're not a diagnostician, so you can't act on them. Right. Well, in, fact, in an elementary school, you have psychologists that can walk in and observe them and administer testing and so on. Yes. And, and that can happen in the course of the regular school day. At yes. a college, you don't have that. They have to no. go to an office, request some kind of evaluation. And typically, they I don't know. I mean, typically, I think they'll probably refer you out and say, go see a doctor or something. Yes. I don't, I don't think they'll do it on campus. Yes, no, they they, you have to provide the documentation to get the disability services. They're not going to do it for you, right? Oh, crap. I'm here. Uh, in at the college level, 
at least, that we talked about whatever they call the the, uh, the office of the department that's responsible for uh, providing the recommendations for accommodations. So students have the option to go to that particular place and disclose and ask for the support that they need. Now, transfer this to the, the workplace, the work, the business world. The, the closest thing we have to a disability services office or whatever it's called on, on a particular campus is the human resources department. So what's going on there in the human resources department with respect to disability, with respect to is it creating an atmosphere where workers feel comfortable disclosing whether or not they have a, a disability and asking for accommodations. Now, I presume that the same confidentiality laws apply, whether or not they're followed, that's something else. And whether or not a particular employer is prepared or equipped with the understanding and with the tools to provide effective accommodations for their employees, that's another question as well. Liza, what has your experience been, both as a student and as someone who's been in and out of the workplace? Well, first I have to say that uh, when we were talking about <clears throat> visible versus invisible disabilities, I deal with things that can be both, and that really affects the ways in which I'm treated. Autism, obviously, in almost all cases, especially for those of us who mask, is essentially an invisible disability. However, my mobility issues, my, the fatigue, invisible disability, a lot of other things from the fibromyalgia, invisible disability, my mobility issues, on the other hand, they're in this weird position of being one one day and not the next. Because depending on the day, I can go with no mobility aid, go with a cane, I have a folding cane, go with crutches, go with all the way down to wheelchair use. So it's really different the way I've been treated on days when my disability is less visible versus when it's more visible. And I tend to be outspoken about it anyway. I tend to, to, to tell people just because that's my life, that's the field I work in. But my experiences, obviously in, in middle school, they weren't great, but in college and, and university age uh, thing, that, that those, it depends on the year, it depends on the university. When I was at a small community college in Western Massachusetts, the disability services provider was absolutely not willing to discuss anything with me. She had one expectation of individuals that would be coming to her. Individuals that would not be able to have a conversation with her in the way she thought of a conversation as being. 
individuals that she could say what they need without them saying what they needed. And when she came face to face with someone who was outspoken and knew what they needed, she did not, she was not willing to, to really do anything. Now that changes based on the fact that, of course, she comes across a smaller number of people in the first place. It's a school in a very, very loosely populated, opposite of dense area. And so because of that, she came into less pe into contact with fewer people in the first place and thus a lower percentage of disabled people. But it was also potentially just something about the office and the way it was set up. Here at SCU, I've had better experiences. There have still been a lot of things that when I do disclose, people just either don't understand or they aren't willing to provide me with what I need or even in some cases, and I'm working on this right now, assignments are inherently inaccommodatable. They go against the accommodations that some people might need. You cannot accommodate in them. As for the workplace, I haven't really had the experience of that. On the one hand, I have in my reception jobs, I did, I've mentioned things just as they come up. But in those, I tend to make my own accommodations. And then in everything else, it's something that is based on me being disabled. That's why I work in it. Here, for example, that is why I am doing it. And in, in classes, it benefits me to disclose. I would anyway, but it benefits me to disclose because I can, you know, actually have, I actually have this perspective on the issues that we're talking about. There are some ways in which it, in which it harms, it singles me out and such, but in most cases there, it does benefit. And I'm just used to, being treated the way the world treats disabled people. So I, in, in general, not, you know, everyone treats people this way, but just the way the disabled people are treated in this, in this world, oftentimes I'm used to it. So I may tend to disclose more than is self-serving because then I end up being able to help others with that information. For example, if I had to advocate for someone else, but I had not disclosed my information, I would, because it puts me in this perspective of actually being able to have those same similar experiences and, and be in that position of accommodation. My biggest concern, however, is when I go into schools, when I go into job interviews like this, do I 
if it's a day when I don't need any mobility aids, do I go in using my wheelchair because that's a representation of me? Do I go in using my crutches because that's a representation of the way I could be? And keeping that from them on the basis of looking good to be hired is falsely presenting yourself. Is it? That's the question. Is it falsely presenting yourself if you your disability is invisible or it fluctuates? So I haven't really had too many experiences like that, but but I'm incredibly concerned for it in the future. Despite the fact that because I'm disabled, I may be better equipped to teach disabled students, people don't see that. Yeah, and a, a lot of the things that you just said really resonated with me. Um, I am still relatively new to my diagnosis, but when I went back into the workforce, I chose the mental health field because that's something that was familiar to me. I had already recognized that I dealt with depression and anxiety. And I, I really wanted to be able to help people deal with that and help teach people more about that and help normalize that. And so I chose to go into the mental health field. I worked with people with mental illnesses and it was always in the forefront of my mind that I could have been one of these folks who life had kind of steamrolled over and they hadn't had access to the right kinds of support and the right opportunities. And so they were in a position where I was working with them and teaching them life skills and things like that. My experiences as now knowing that I'm an autistic individual, that also shaped the field that I chose to be in. I chose to work in a field area where I can help other parents who are struggling to figure out how to help their autistic children. I chose to be in a field where I'm talking about special education, advocating for more special education resources. And I chose to be in a field where I could pull in other people who have disabilities to be my colleagues. So yes, some of us, we get the opportunity to pick a field where people are already familiar with disabilities, are already familiar with mental illness, so they're not going to freak out if someone's like, hey, yo, I'm just like the people that we're working with, or, you know, I deal with mental health issues too, or I also have a disability, an invisible disability in my case, although as I get older, physical disabilities seem to be on the horizon. So that, there's that one thing of picking a, 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 a field, an area that you know is going to be accommodating because it's a, a service field where that always serves people with disabilities. Now that's not always to say that you're gonna find people in those service areas, uh, providing services to people with disabilities who really get it and who understand, um, you know, nobody, nobody's perfect. But thinking about those workplaces that really have nothing to do with serving people with disabilities what are some of the things that can be done to help create an atmosphere where people feel comfortable 
asking for help. And Scott, you've been quiet, but I know that you've been doing a lot of digging into this. So yes. what's some of the information that you've come across about creating a, a, a workplace where people feel comfortable disclosing, if not to their colleagues, at least to the employer or to the human resources department and asking for accommodations? One way is to normalize it. And one place was the idea of the universal accommodations where the office uh, for the uh, employers, human resources can identify and let people with whatever disclose because studies have shown that even if someone's accommodated for hearing aids, it may not be for deaf, it may help the entire employee and, and have that awareness and also even on the side of diversity to have employers, it doesn't quite fit into us, but for uh, where they send out cards recognizing the holidays of different traditions to everyone. So at least it's not singling them out and to have sensitivity, training and cultural awareness, but especially when we're talking about the employment issue, one article mentioned how you can uh, provide that all the way from the interview process, ask what you need when you're in the job and then to be promoted. And then also when you leave the job to have that be a whole aspect of it. And also it can help build morale, decrease the turnover and helps the bottom line. So it has, and then there's also the idea of empowerment and engagement and finally, someone known as Dale S. Brown mentioned that there's like a performance resource assessment where you analyze the task that gives you this hard time. Then you identify the uh, either disability or the causes and details of the difficulty. Then you try to brainstorm those solutions. You tweak, try it, and then you tweak it. So it's basically setting up these strategies and it would have been because when I was working, I had the accommodation in the sense I was given the key and the security code at the office. And, and they, they said, oh, if you have to stay, Scott, we'll pay extra and then we'll give you the money for the cab on the way back. So at least I had the, I didn't feel pressure to get it done by five o'clock because I had orders to help the uh, customer sign or I had to take care of helping make sure every all of uh, COD invoices were on the orders and just a bunch of different crazy things trying to get everything lined up. So it's not an easy topic, but I also another thing you can do is have stories where people can promote either inside the uh, internet or internet outside to promote that business of some different stories and ultimately at the end, it's going to promote a return on the investment. This, there's so many layers and I just scratched the surface, but this is a good introductory conversation. Yes, you mentioned a lot of great details there and I, I wrote them all down so we can kind of work our way through them. Now, this idea of universal accommodations, accommodations that are always on the table so that people can utilize them without having to ask. That certainly sounds like it would create an environment where someone with an invisible disability 
to would say, okay, this is a place that that kind of gets it. They understand that that people need support to bring their A game to the workplace. So what are some things that can be universal accommodations? Liza, let me start with you. What are some things that you think of when you hear universal accommodations? Well, there are things that you can work into, for example, your communication system, in your organization system in the office, depicting things in multiple ways, for example, that helps people so they don't have to come forward and say, hey, I am having trouble understanding this. I need it in this format. You can have certain programs automatically installed on work computers if you have work computers or, or buy a work membership to a particular service so that anyone can use it, not just disabled individuals, but it's there as an accessibility resource for disabled individuals. Scope out a space. And if you are in the market for a new space for your business, exclude ones that have stairs and no accessibility in other ways. Stairs and no elevators, for example. Hmm. Provide a big one make sure that everything you show is properly captioned. Any videos you show are properly captioned because that's something that you can provide there that is not going to get in the way of abled individuals. In fact, it may very much help them, but it also makes things accessible for disabled individuals in your workplace. Yeah. I love that you always remind me to turn on the captions. Now that live captioning is an option, I love that you always remind me to turn it on. Because yes, it it is very helpful to be able to look at a screen and read something. Um, You also mentioned providing information in in multiple ways. Um, We have a kiddo, he he makes, we used to do it for him, but now he makes his own signs to remind him of stuff. So, you know, posting, posting signs and notes around the workplace to help remind people of, of uh, policies, procedures, sharing information with them. That's one way to create, people don't think of that as a universal accommodation, but actually that, that is having the signs, the posters, picture information, written information that people can read. Um, I'm getting to a, to a stage in life where I appreciate things that are in large sized font. And, uh, yeah. Um, also, yes, choosing an, choosing an accessible location is, is key for people who have the, the visible physical disabilities and to be honest, any of us could at any point become someone who has a physical disability and needs access to an ADA accessible space. Um, are there any other things that you can think of, Jeremy or Scott, that would count as universal accommodations? 
Well, I pretty much have the same open policy with all of my students, whether they have a disability or not. They might have one and they just haven't said so. That uh, if, <clears throat> if they request an extension, I give it, period. I don't ask them what their reasons are. They might tell me, but I, if they want more time, I give it to them. I, I, I don't have any reason not to. Why would I care about that? I, I don't, I mean, is there any reason why I shouldn't give them an extension if they want a little bit more time to do this one assignment? Knowing that that's going to then cut into their other assignments later on. I mean, I might, if, if I see the same people doing it over and over again, I might say, the more stuff you're getting behind on, the, the harder it is for you to do it all at the end and so on. I might have reasons to inform them of that, make, draw that to their intent, attention. But I, I typically, if someone asks for a little bit more time, I always give it to them. If they want, um, um, if they tell me they have to miss class, meaning in the current moment, they can join by Zoom if the reason is they just can't physically get somewhere. But uh, that's not gonna be permanent. We're gonna be going back in the fall, most likely to no Zoom, unless you're in an online class. And then we're gonna go back to the way it was before, which means if they don't make it to class, they're gonna to have to either get notes from someone or they're gonna to have to schedule time to, to make it up and that kind of thing. But I've always been accommodating about that. And I don't usually ask them why. It's not really my business to know why. I know a lot of faculty will want you to prove you had it's by producing an obituary for someone who, who died or to, by, by um, producing a doctor's note. And to the point where some students are paranoid enough about that, that they'll disclose information that they shouldn't be disclosing. I had a student hand me a form one time not, I didn't ask for it. The student just showed up and said, this is why I wasn't here. And it was a, a, a doctor's notes from an office visit about an STI. And I don't need to know that. You don't need to share that with me. I just need to, you to communicate with me. That's what I care about. That's the responsible thing to do. That's what I think a workplace expects in general. The reason, the reason that students are doing that for you is because there are professors that likely have 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 caused them to do that. Have oh right, and I'm just saying that the, the fact that faculty expect that of students is stupid. Agreed. Why do you need to know all that. There's no reason you Agreed. should need to, to know that. Yeah. If, if a student's having difficulty getting an assignment done or can't make it to class, the fact that they've communicated me with me about it is enough to show that they're being responsible. They realize they should be there. Mm -hmm. They're realizing that they're in a circumstance that's making that difficult. And they're communicating with me enough to, to let me know that they wish they could be there, but they can't this time. And yeah. so I'll be accommodating to them. And I don't have to see a disability form. I don't have to see a sports form. I don't have to see a doctor's note or an obituary or anything like that. They just tell me I can't make it to class today. I if there's anything I can do to make it up, let me know or yeah. whatever. If you can send me the notes, I'd appreciate it. If you send me the Zoom link, I'd appreciate it. I if you want to have a conversation with though. me, right? Yeah, your experience as, as a parent of parenting people with disabilities has you primed to understand that, understand how much better it is to, to be open and understanding like that. 
that's not always the experience in a work in a workplace. In fact, oftentimes in a workplace, people are forced to do exactly what you're saying. It doesn't make sense to do. Prove that they need to take time off. They have to prove that they deserved that time. Oh yes. To to, to take care of themselves. And one of the well, things that makes a workplace more welcoming is to stop doing that. Stop people. Stop making people prove that they need time off to take care of whatever it is they need to take care of so that they can be fully present at work. The, the workplaces with better benefits will give a certain number of days that you don't have to say what's going on. You can just take off. And so there at least is, is that. And I mean, in, in the college setting, I see that as well. They'll say, you can have four days that you miss class and I won't ask any questions. But then they won't let them even have legitimate excuses beyond that, which is just stupid. Yeah. So I, I just, and I, I see that in faculty syllabi. And I think, what happens if they use their four days for legitimate reasons? Yep. And then they get a fifth legitimate reason. They don't Hi. get excused. Hi, I, right? I have that issue this semester. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, so that, yeah. that act of requiring people to prove that they need to take a break. Stop doing that. It, it really does place a barrier um, in the relationship between employer-employee or between student and instructor. You know, we are not, well, okay. So maybe there are some people who, who think of their employees or students as being wholly owned by them, but that's not actually the case. No. So that, that's, I think that not requiring people to prove that they deserve time off or deserve a break is really important in, in terms of providing an accommodation. Now we're, we're running, running down on time and there's a lot of things still that I want to discuss. Um, there's some insights. You, I'm sorry, say that again? The, there's the whole idea with this uh, diversity or the disclosure, there was two different things. Uh, that I found interesting in an article, they mentioned sometimes employers are looking for a percentage of each group called like affirmative action. Then there's the laissez-faire approach where anyone, and then that's if you're looking at the uh, whole idea of the universal, that's a whole discussion you can have. That's mm -hmm, just mm -hmm. how you represent. And also the idea of some benefits I was just thinking about which is on a positive side, you get innovation in a company, respect and, and a good return on the, on the diversity. But also I just didn't, I realized this, that this whole disability market is a global market, it's emerging. So if we look at whether it's someone in the school system that's getting educated, that's a good teaching tool because some of the teachers will go back into business or some of the parents might go into business. So it has its ripple effects. And finally, when I was uh, taught my, in my speech therapy, my speech therapist was in a wheelchair. She was disabled. So, and even my first professor of philosophy, Dr. Coleman, he was blind. So, and I helped one of the first students, Tim Daly at Fairfield U, I helped him with his reading for a couple of his semesters. 
So it's all around us, this disability. Yeah. And myself and Scott, living with. Yeah. Scott, you mentioned um, in, in part of universal accommodations, you also mentioned ex an accessible interview process. And that is huge because for a lot of people with invisible, invisible disabilities, they don't even make it to the interview because the, the application process is, is, is so discriminatory, it weeds them out. It's like, and I've been through the process of applying for jobs in, in different uh, fields. And yes, that the, the process itself of applying is a nightmare. It's unnecessarily complicated. And every single application process, they're like, here, upload your resume. And you're like, okay, great. I've uploaded my resume. But then <laughs> the rest of the application process is typing in the information that's in the resume that you uploaded. The application tracking system, also known as the black hole. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so yes. think, thinking about the application and interview process, what are some of the ways that that can be made more accessible for people who have disabilities? And we don't even have to limit it to the invisible disabilities. That can be made more accessible to people who have physical disabilities as well. People who are blind, people who are deaf, people who have mobility issues, people who might not be able to type on the computer for long enough to type in every last detail of their resume that they just uploaded. Let's talk one about way, that. One way is, is just to have within the organization, possibly if, if they can get like a disabled person who can also be part of the hiring process. So, so then you would feel comfortable with it. I don't know how all of our other panelists feel about that. That's oh no, I think I, I, that's why I'm in anywhere where disabled people are as the people that are served or, or, or anything like that, there should be disabled people. I mean, that's my whole thing with disabled students should have disabled teachers in the school they're in. I mean, that's the whole thing there. And I think one thing that would be really helpful, and Scott, you reminded me of this when you talked about including disabled people in the, the decision-making process for hiring, is have disabled people test the application and interview process. Um, our, our, our kiddo who is um, extremely good at finding ways around security measures. I always, when he was little, I would always joke that we should get him a job testing security systems. And if he can defeat the security system, we need to send it back to the engineers because it's not that good. <laughs> and there, we need, that's something that we need to be doing. Having disabled people test these processes and procedures to see how actually accessible that they are. Yeah. Because accessibility um, processes and accommodations that are put in place by abled people don't always work for disabled people. I mean, 
really. No, they don't. We've all, we've all seen pictures yeah. of this beautifully designed staircase that integrated ramps with the stairs, but actually anyone who needed to use a ramp wouldn't be able to use that particular entrance because the angles are all wrong. There are no handrails, you know? And so there, it's really important to have disabled people testing whether or not something that's meant to be accessible really is accessible. Liza, were you gonna say something? Exactly. Well, I, I've seen that. I've seen that picture certainly, but on days when I'm in my wheelchair, Handrails, people may not think handrails are accessible. I mean, are, are necessary. Oh, you have your chair. I use them to pull myself up because the people sometimes make ramps too steep or self or they make it in such a way that they expect it to be used by power chair users. And it's almost impossible to self-propel up or mm-hmm. like it feels it feels like you're doing something to say you're doing something but also to be cool and trendy and and tokenize, tokenizing our experiences, which has been an issue for, oh, I don't even know how long. Yeah, from pretty much the beginning. Ever? It's, yeah, there's, you do something to look like you're doing something. There's that performative uh, piece to it. But what we're talking about is, is doing things that are meaningful, um, that are truly accessible, and that are truly inclusive. So we have a few minutes left. Oh, I just had a, I'm sorry, what were you saying, Scott? I had some uh, interesting things. We didn't really talk about mm-hmm. the negative aspect. And just, I'll just mention a few about this whole idea of disclosing. Yep. Some people are again, an article said, some people are against disclosing because of them being labeled or they're tired of fighting the stigma. Yep. Intrusive questions despite any of the five, 503 regulations that are out there. That's the number yeah. one. I have no clue what that is. I didn't research that. But this, that's just a few thoughts. Yeah. Toss into that, actually, that actually plays really well right into the next question that I was going to ask. And that's about, it's not about the workplace, but it's about parents and what they should or shouldn't disclose about their children's disabilities. This is something that I have... It's been 20 years, folks. It's, some, it's a question that I wrestle with over and over again. And for myself, I've always erred on the side of, you know, just disclosing for the sake of creating normalcy. Now that my kids are, are older and they're adults, it's up to them whether or not they disclose, but for my, in their personal situations, for myself, I will always disclose because I want to fight against that very stigma that you mentioned, Scott, of people being labeled, getting intrusive questions, having to deal with stigma. So that's why I disclose. The, the, the question is that I'm looking at, what are some of the things that parents need to weigh as they think about whether or not they will disclose about their child's disability? Jeremy, since you're a parent, why don't you start? I think the the major issues are, as I 
said at the beginning, I think there are self-interested concerns and there are those point in different directions and you have to weigh them out against each other in a particular case. There are concerns about getting what you need, getting accommodated. And in some cases, disclosing will help people to understand in a way that they might think something, they might blame you or, or think there's something, like you're doing something wrong, when if they knew that there was a disability involved, they might be more willing to accept what's going on. Uh, there, there are certainly cases when, when that is so. And when I'm out with my second son and he does things that people don't expect, like he throws himself on the floor or he um, uh, is just behaving in a way that people will find different and odd. Uh, if they were to know, I mean, some of them might figure it out just by watching him, I suppose. But if they were to know what's, uh, what's behind it, they would be a lot more understanding and not judging. Of course, there are those who are going to judge anyway. And there are those who will judge perhaps more when you do disclose. But I think we're at a time now when that can help. There are ways that that can help. People knowing that there's something like that going on are going to be more likely to be accommodating and understanding. At the same time, depending on the social situation, there are cases where disclosing is going to cause, it's not going to cause, that's not the right word. It's, it's, it's going to make it more likely that other people will cause problems. Um, and depending on when you're talking, I mean, especially if you're talking about children, you're gonna have uh, things like bullying and that kind of thing. Is that gonna be more likely if they do know, less likely? I don't know, I don't know the answer to that. But it's certainly not just plain disclose because it's better for you. It seems like there are going to be consequences that are more difficult if you disclose. And I tend in more cases probably to favor disclosure out of self-interest than not. But I don't know if that's a universal thing that's gonna to apply to every situation. Sometimes it might be best just not to say anything. And for those who are more hidden about it, maybe it doesn't make any difference, I don't know. I really don't. But as I said earlier, and, and, and I think Liza might've chimed in to agree with this, I'm not sure. But to, to uh, the idea of some reasons for disclosure might be to encourage people to be more thoughtful about what they're doing. To recognize there are people around me who have disabilities and how should I be thinking about that when I don't know that they have it. If I know that there are more people around me that do, then I'm gonna be thinking about it more often. Is that something we should encourage in people? Is that something that we should be promoting? And when we do disclose, there's, it does that moral, it achieves that moral good in the world of, of making people more aware that there are people around them who have disabilities and they might not have known about it. When they discover that someone that they didn't think had a disability does, how does that affect them? So there are some moral reasons why we might consider it as well. Not that it's an absolute requirement or anything, but that's something to consider. And I would say that, John and me, that it's this whole idea of, because there's a, uh, a Toastmasters group that's called Different Abilities and it has both people with disabilities and those without, and that it teaches 
the communication and how to, how to get, get, get it out. And obviously it's a different kind of group I've been with twice, but just understanding how you can teach them and you can have different expectations. I expect them to be following the exact model of Toastmasters Club. Then they said it's gonna take them a while and they have to get comfortable themselves. And when you're in the workplace, because I always had struggle, whether I was at school or whether I was at work, just trying to figure out how to do the process. Because I had, we had a tickler system at work that my boss helped set up where by salesman or, or by customer, we could put some documents in there in case for some reason I might've misplaced it or someone else did that was easier to find as backup. But with a fast paced environment, as I exploring, am exploring in my newsletter, it's just challenging of try to get the, how do you disclose or how do you try to have the boss? And these will be some good points to continue in that discussion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think one of the things that, that, I, that concerns me about disclosure, particularly with children, is one, you've got the privacy issue. And yes, there are moral reasons why it might be a good idea to disclose um, when you're dealing with children, but there needs to be some discernment involved in what's disclosed, where it's disclosed, when it's disclosed, and how. Because I think we've all seen some, some really cringy videos out there of parents who are tear tearfully going on and on about all the things that they're certain that their children won't be able to do because their child has a disability. Mm -hmm. That's not actually the kind of disclosure that is helpful to people with disabilities. That's actually part of what builds the stigma and generates the in intrusive questions and generates the, the, all those negative connotations of the label. So that is absolutely not the kind of disclosure that we need. And parents out there who might be considering doing that, don't do that to your kid because your kid might grow up and see that someday. <laughs> and, and no, don't come back with the, well, my kid will never be able to understand it. Well, just because they wouldn't be under, able to understand it doesn't mean you should say it. Yeah. Now, um, any last comments on the issue of whether or not to disclose in a workplace, how to make a workplace um, more accessible and accommodating for people who might wish to disclose, or even if they don't. And this issue of children and what their parents or caregivers should or shouldn't disclose about them. So I have to call on you. <laughs> All right, so th this is a, a complicated issue and I think we've only really touched the, the tip of the iceberg. So we're, we're gonna come back to it later on. But for now, you've been listening to the Life Fantastic podcast, the podcast where people with disabilities talk about all things disability here on Spray Independent Radio. Don't forget to check out the new Straight Independent Radio website, straight with an A, indie.us, straightindieradio.us. Excuse me, I want to send you to the wrong place. 
Our podcast is sponsored by neurodiversityconsulting.org and santia.org. Check us out on the web to find out about all the great things that we do with people with disabilities. I'm your host, the Idea Dynamo, Samantha Pierce. Thank you so much for joining us in this discussion about disclosure. And we look forward to having another discussion, great discussion for you next time.